Welcome to the Connective Health Podcast. My name is Ryan Hess, and I appreciate you being here. In particular, I appreciate you joining our mission of improving healthcare by connecting its disparate parts. This is episode two of a discussion highlighting the provider and payer perspectives on risk adjustment, a critical tool in rolling out value-based care models. In episode one, we covered the importance of risk adjustment and tension points between providers and payers. In this episode, we will delve deeper into the landscape of available solutions. We are again joined by Dr. Jim Taylor and Ben Paling. Let's dive back into the conversation. Providers get really uh, appropriately upset about some of this, right? So I, I think as with any change, really needs to start with the why. How do we help the providers, the patients, the entire healthcare system understand the why of these new models? A second area that would be great to delve into is the distinction, the accuracy of the diagnoses, the need for the clinical backup. So how do we make sure that clinicians, as they're in their workflow, have the tools that they need to accurately capture those codes, to capture the clinical basis for those codes? What are some of the solutions that will help us make this work? And I think I'll stick with the same order that we've been going in. So Ben, why don't we, why don't we start with you? Ryan, there's, you know, there's really an entire ecosystem of support services that exists around risk adjustment today. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about Medicare Advantage, but variations of risk adjustment have been adopted beyond Medicare. You'll see risk adjustment in certain managed Medicaid programs and across the ACA market. So as risk adjustment has expanded, so too have the services around it. At the highest levels, I break risk adjustment into a few component parts. So one component is the analytics and identifying codes that may be inaccurate. And remember, inaccuracies go both ways. So identifying both potentially over and undercoded conditions. And th this is often done by analyzing data sets and creating analytics to uncover these inaccuracies. So that's kind of the first component. The next component is acting on this information. Um, so plans take these analytics and conduct interventions to determine whether there is a gap with that member and try to close that gap. This is where providers often come into play and are asked to fully assess and treat the member. They're also often asked to provide medical charts um, to support the diagnosis codes, as Dr. Taylor was, was suggesting. Next, um, data is submitted to the health plan, and the plan must process that data and submit eligible risk adjustment information to CMS. You know, that data ultimately should be reconciled against the CMS payments to ensure payments are, are correct. So you have those three major components and then wrapped around all of it needs to be an effective compliance program that monitors the activity and educates and acts when appropriate. Some health plans perform much of what I just described themselves. Additionally, there are vendors who offer services throughout this risk adjustment ecosystem. So there are vendors who perform risk adjustment analytics, there are vendors who retrieve and code medical charts, uh, perform in-home assessments, process data and submit it to CMS and reconcile payments and everything in, in between. 
And then there are vendors who offer all of these services wrapped together in a holistic solution. The, the vendor landscape has grown significantly since I started in risk adjustment. So health plans have many options and need to determine what's best for, for, for them. To me, the ultimate solution is one that informs the accuracy of risk adjustment coding while also contributing to improved outcomes. I just feel that, you know, we talked earlier about the tensions between providers and payers. I think that's one area that we can really align that we both want accurate risk adjustment diagnosis codes, and we also want improved member outcomes. So solutions that really focus in that area, I think um, will stand well in, in the future. Dr. Taylor, how about from the provider perspective? What might be some solutions here? One solution that we implemented, um, and I'm, I'm not going to say names of organizations at this point. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but they, it was a good idea. Is we actually gave bonuses to providers, not for quantity of diagnoses, but for accuracy in their documentation. So that that helped the health plan in that the goal was to get better, uh, more accurate documentation and in supporting documentation. In in the and what that what that meant was we would audit a certain amount of charts per month and then per quarter and then per year depending on how well they did. And the higher the score, the bigger the bonus they got, and so that didn't invite people cheating and putting quantity. In there, it was all about the quality of the diagnoses that they did document. And that um, provided, that was a win-win. And then it also educated the physician on correct um, documentations requirements for the different uh, diagnoses in the HCC model. So that's one, but that that's difficult when, when doctors are used, especially if you're converting a practice from a fee-for-service practice and trying to mix risk in, they're used to being getting their bonuses based on RVUs or relative value units, which is a procedural-based reimbursement. So doing things um, gets you more money as opposed to being accurate in documenting. So so somehow the, the payers and the providers working together, being as creative as they can to give giving bonuses for quality, not quantity. You can get into trouble if you reward docs for more and more and more HCCs because then that invites uh, fraud into the mix. Another um, solution that's somewhat out of the payer's realm or, or sphere of influence is optimizing the electronic medical record. At, at Kaiser, we were because we were both payer and provider groups, we were able, when we implemented Epic, to have significant provider involvement in how the EMR was set up to make the right thing to do, the easy thing to do, without fear of um, upcoding or, or capturing inappropriate diagnoses. Things as simple as the, the, the reporting inside the EMR itself that um, I talked about earlier, but even setting up uh, drop-down lists. So if I type in diabetes, the first thing to appear isn't diabetes in obstetri obstetrical care. 
I'm a family physician. I don't do OB anymore. So I don't, I don't even want that on my list. So you, you certainly can't put in only reimbursing diagnoses, but just make the things that occur commonly up to the front so that it makes it easy for docs to do so they don't have to go searching through random unimportant diagnoses to find the uh, clinically appropriate diagnoses, which then drive reimbursement. Talked about um, analytics and um, once again, a payer perspective versus a provider perspective. The From an analytics standpoint, some of the diagnoses are inaccurate. Well, that makes physicians recoil because I'm a doctor. I don't make inaccurate diagnoses. What, what really means when you're translating is they were inaccurate because they were unsupported in their documentation. So you didn't have an inaccurate diagnosis. You just had an unsupported diagnosis. Um, so it's just kind of some of the, being a physician on the business side, I was the ambassador from one side to another, and I knew how to speak each other's language. And um, sometimes that needs to be a part of the solution as well as not having coders go in and speak coding speak, but have them um, have a good enough knowledge of the electronic medical record, as well as how provi the provider jargon so that they can uh, be, be more effective. Closing gaps, um, you know, one of the provider functions that Ben mentioned is um, is huge. It's a huge benefit to the docs because even in the same company, in a different um, location, the sickness degree of a patient varies significantly. So out in the suburbs, you might have a RAF score of 1.2 with an average RAF score being 1. But in really sick downtown or, or rural areas, they might be up closer to a 2.0, which means they're really sick. So having reporting that brings up gaps for you that you simply weren't paying attention to because of the other catastrophic things that were happening is really helpful. Claims data, especially before things started to evolving, wasn't all that accurate as far as diagnoses were concerned. And the reason would be uh, grandma would go see her oncologist for the 20th year in a row because she had breast cancer back in the day, doesn't have it now. But the follow-up visit, a lot of times the super bills just check breast cancer, even though it was a follow-up and the patient really has a history of breast cancer. So then you would get breast cancer in the data and the health plan or, or yeah, the payer or the health plan would want to know, why aren't you addressing this patient's breast cancer. You haven't refreshed it and you haven't refreshed it or recaptured it or redocumented it in over five years. And the answer is, well, they don't have it. So, so creating one of the solutions would be creating a feedback mechanism so that the providers can give the clinical input that the patient had it, but they no longer have it. And one of the trainings would be to, well, fine, then put in history of breast cancer and then that will become a discrepancy that somewhere um, they'll be able to call out and get it to the correct diagnosis. Another payer um, health plan function that could take place that's pretty effective is to take all the back end or take some of the back end coders that simply repair claims and repair edits uh, that fall into a work queue and put those, train those people and put them up front in the clinics 
so that they can educate the docs to, to say the magic words, even though we don't like to, but at least to know what they are so we can say them so that we can get um, more accurate coding, which in some cases would drive a, an accuracy bonus. In other cases, it just decreases the hassle you get. So fine, I'll say chronic hepatitis C if you stop sending me reports saying that I need to say hepatitis, chronic hepatitis C. So that um, getting more education up front to the provider groups, they're willing to do it, they just don't know how. So somehow facilitating that process and supporting that process is, um, is helpful from the uh, provider's perspective. I love how you started off with <laughs> started off with aligning incentives that really brought this podcast into a full circle. Uh, and it was great hearing it from the provider perspective that even you all do think about aligning incentives in some ways. Uh, I will reiterate uh, that woven throughout all of this um, from both perspectives is that we all make sure we understand the why. This really is about treating patients better. Um, and we just need to make sure that we continue to vocalize that. And then I'll highlight one last one that's obviously near and dear to my heart as the CEO of Connective Health. Let's use the workflows that we have. So we have EHRs, we have an EHR workflow. We're able to bring analytics into that workflow. We're able to, Jim's point, pull clinical data, not just claims data anymore. We can go out and get clinical data that is appropriate in the workflow and use that to create alerts about, hey, there's a diagnosis that is incorrectly coded and we can tee that up with clinical backing. Uh, so let me just thank you. Uh, thank you, Jim Taylor. Thank you, Ben Paling, for coming into our podcast and for talking us through risk adjustment. We are all in this to make healthcare better. So with that, thank you all for listening and have a great day. And I look forward to talking with you on a future podcast.